genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no, you can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. apologize for the audio quality on this particular episode we had a catastrophic data loss which meant that we had to rely on our backups so you might hear us coughing over guests or maybe just me stroking my beard sorry about that hello and welcome to the truth lies and workplace culture podcast brought to you by the hubspot podcast network the audio destination for business professionals my name is leanne i'm a business psychologist my name is al i'm a business owner And we're here to help you simplify the science of people. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. So today, what are we talking about today, Leanne? Today, we are talking about coaching and mentoring. I don't want to say coaching coaching versus mentoring. It's not a fight. Um, But we're going to explore some differences. You say that, but my marketing mind is already going, okay, right, who's the evil one? Are we going to, we're going to definitely have a fight. So uh, (laughs) you might see the title of this is is something which Leanne doesn't approve of, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) mentoring and coaching is it really a horrendous waste of time well let's let's find out shall we if that is your if that is your question listener coming into this we've got you that's what we're chatting about so as normal we have three we have a number of guests we normally do a panel kind of style episode so we've got three guests the first one is julie mayer who is a serial entrepreneur She's founder and CEO at Augmenters, which is a content platform which is dedicated to creating fresh language around the timeless concept of mentoring. She also is a co-host of Augmenters Podcast, which is the sibling show on HubSpot. So let's go and meet Julie. My background really is just an entrepreneurship. I really love creating B2B companies that help serve clients and the opportunity to do better in the world. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, March 11th, 2020, I was asked to speak in a class at Tufts University in Boston by a nice gentleman named Jimmy. And we had that kind of pre-pandemic moment where we got a chance to meet, uh, sit around with a group of students and talk about things that we cared about. And we really clicked and found that mentoring was important to both of us. So as we were locked in our homes, uh, two extroverts, uh, two over uh, overactive entrepreneur extroverts 
lot of ease, trapped in their homes, we uh, just would have these Friday Zoom calls and and found that mentoring was a really important topic to both of us. And we both had an interest in creating a, a content platform around it. So that's how Augmenters was born. Interesting. I've never heard Jimmy described as a gentleman before. What have you heard him described as? I think we should move on. <laughs> okay. I'm, just, I'm just adding a bit of drama. <laughs> and our next guests are Lucy Mullins and Sonia Shellard. Uh, Sonia and Lucy are experienced, professionally accredited coaches. They are coach educators. They are coach supervisors and trainers. Um, and a fun fact, it was actually Lucy and Sonia that trained me in my accreditation. They did such a great job. They, they, they are incredible, incredible women. Uh, they're both business owners. Uh, they run successful coaching and consulting companies and work with a whole host of clients, including entrepreneurs, uh, FTSE 100 companies, universities and charities. Um, they also both studied at the University of Oxford. Really? Yeah. Fancy. Very fancy. Very, very clever women we have with us today. Um, and they're co-founders and co-directors of Ride the Wave Professional Coach Training, uh, which offers association for training accredited coach training programs for executives, personal, business and leader coaches. Let's go and meet Lucy. I'm Lucy Mullins. I'm one of the co-founders of Ride the Wave Professional Coach Training. I love everything to do with coaching. I call my coaching practice cheerleading, which hopefully immediately gives you a bit of insight into my personality and my style. I started my career as a fitness instructor. I love all things action, energy, movement. And my passion in the coaching world is bringing neuroscience and psychology into how we coach people and can make them their best selves. Right, should we go and meet Sonia? Yeah. Uh, Sandra Shellard. Um, so I have been in coaching for a long time, very grey haired. And um, I have main roles now, a couple really, are some executive coaching, also running a global leadership and management development organisation called Vector Group. Um, <clears throat> how would I describe my coaching role? So Lucy has a wonderful phrase, cheerleading. I would suggest that I go into people's circuses and come out with all the monkeys. That's my aim is to sort of go in and leave them with the great stuff. And, and I often find myself with, you know, a car full of monkeys on the way out. But that's my role, uh, you know, really sort of clear up dysfunction, things that are getting in the way and leaving them a little bit freer to give the best performance of their lives. Funnily enough, it was a phrase that I read recently, like um, a mantra, Polish. It's a Polish proverb. And it is basically saying, you know, this is not my circus. These are not my monkeys. And it's the idea of moving on, having that sort of detachment from it. So as a coach, as an external coach, I don't have an agenda. I have that objectivity that is lost when you're in it. And so I can sort of guide and navigate through and help and, you know, lead the monkeys out of the arena and allow people to just see it for what is needed. So that's where it comes from. And our final guest is Paulwyn Devasondorum. She's founder and CEO of Medu. Uh, it's a smart coaching tool which is co-created with coaches and powered by AI. Something we talked about at the beginning of the year that we thought AI was going to come into coaching and clearly it is. Uh, does, and uh, basically it designs a coaching journey and tracks the insights along the way. So should we go and meet Paulwyn? I'm Paulwyn. I'm the co-founder of Medu. Uh, we are the smart coaching software that helps coaches and coaches get to those aha moments quicker. Um, and yeah, it's such a pleasure to be here today uh, to chat with you about all things coaching and tech. And I love that intersection of tech and coaching. So pleasure to be here. I think Paulwyn has just described for me perfectly what great coaching does. And there I've had so many moments, and particularly with, with Sonia and Lucy being coached by them, where I've gone, oh, 
And it's that breakthrough moment for me that just makes coaching just really, really, really cool. I'm excited about this week's episode. I think we're going to learn a lot. I think we will too. So (laughs) it's now down to the third week of our news roundup where we put some kind of random jingle or music behind it. And then Leanne goes through what couple of (laughs) things that she's learned and also the word of the week. Yes. This is, um, yeah, this is still in testing phase, this uh, this particular session, but this particular segment, but um, let's see how we go. I like it. <laughs> you just like the jingle. I do. I do enjoy the jingle. Shall I start with a new word? Yes. New word alert. Wellness washing. What the hell is that? Wellness washing. Well, don't just say it again. Explain what it is. You know, I just remind myself of, you know, when you watch those like spelling bees on the telly off of the US, because we don't really have them in the UK, yeah. I don't think. And they uh, always have someone going... Wellness washing. Can you repeat the word, please? Wellness washing. In that case, can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> Very good. So yeah, wellness washing suggests that... So we have lots of well-being products out there, right? Mm-hmm. And wellness washing suggests that the contribution of these products or services towards our wellness might not quite be as impactful or as direct as we're led to believe. So in the workplace, well-being washing is when businesses will advocate for employee well-being, good mental health, um, but without backing it up with actual tangible benefits for their employees, for their workforce. So really, there's no kind of measurement of how effective this intervention is in supporting our our wellness. There's no kind of evaluation to it. And I think, and I think that that's good. And I think it's good that wellness washing is being talked about. My concern and some of the things that I've read is that wellness washing or the term kind of and the, I guess the, what would be the right word? Like maybe the fraudulent aspect of wellness Mm. interventions. Mm. It's being attributed to the intervention, not the kind of the intent or or context Mm. the intervention is being done in. So for example, I saw a really scathing article about coaching and how coaching is basically wellness washing, which is bullshit. But (laughs) I, I understand the point. But I think it's like, it's like saying, you know, a plaster is really great for a paper cut, but it's going to be a bit shit for a broken arm. <laughs> Therefore, plasters are completely useless and have no place in healing the human body. Fair. And it's, it's the same, that's what you're saying with the interventions. The welding intervention is the plaster and it's not the plaster, it's how that plaster is being used. So if you're seeing all these things around wellness washing and they're talking about particular interventions, approach with caution, friends. It's actually more about how that intervention has been applied within the business and how its impact has been measured. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, it's, it, I mean, it does seem a little bit of a shortcut as well. So you go, all right, we need to do some well-being. Uh, let's just pick from a hat. Oh, we're going to do a team day. Yeah. And, but then also at the same time, firing people for, for wanting to work from home or just you know yeah. denying, denying help with anything. Indeed. Mm. Okay, so what else have you seen, Leah? Well, speaking of, um, of this disconnect perhaps the dissonance starbucks has been in the news quite a bit recently hasn't it mm. um so yeah in uh, and we're back to this um return to the office monday uh howard schultz ceo of starbucks who we we have we have loved and bigged up in the past but he is currently asking his white collar staff uh to return to the office for three days a week this seems to be the magic number three days a week so yeah and, and there's also been lots of talk as well about about kind of their, their barristers and how their frontline staff are being treated in terms of unions and pay etc um so yeah a bit bit a bit of unhappy people in starbucks at the minute so they wrote a letter they wrote an open letter protesting the company's return to office mandate um, and its alleged union busting um opening a new uh, a new battle really over it um and i've got quite i've got a little extract which i think kind of sums it up quite nicely 
in a way that it's not just staff slagging off Starbucks. Like they're they're they're, they're hurt. The the psychological contract, mm. this promise, has been broken between us. Um, so yeah, this is this is an extract from the employee um, open letter. We love Starbucks, but these actions are fracturing trust in Starbucks leadership. Mor- morale is at an all-time low, and the brand reputation and financial value of this publicly traded company are at risk. That's what what happens when a psychological an understanding is an employer and employee, and when that isn't fulfilled in the way you expect. We don't like it. Shit ensues. Shit ensues. So yeah, they're talking that, you know, they're not listening. Um, and I think, again, it's this consistency and this incongruence that drives us nuts. Um, you know, they said, we believe in Starbucks. We believe in its core values. And we call for a return to those values. <laughs> Currently, no, um, no public uh, response from leadership team at Starbucks, but we'll keep you boasted. Mm. I also like that you called them um, barristers rather than baristas. Did I call them barristers? So I'm just wondering. I think the main the main difference is that um, is that baristas make coffee and barristers make bank. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the main difference. What else you got, Leah? I have some research for you. Um, the Harvard Study of Adult Development is an 85 year uh, and running longitudinal study at 724 participants um, and now also their spouses and, and children have been brought into the fold and that's all aimed at discovering what makes people happy in life um so yeah about like 2003 there's a really famous tedx talk uh with dr robert waldinger uh, where he kind of talks about the kind of most important takeaways they're seeing um and it's not about wealth it's not about fame it's not about working harder and harder the key finding we had from the study is that good relationships keep us happier and healthier period and it makes sense i mean there's that really famous article from uh the 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 dying wishes or the wishes of the dying or something like that and it's um uh, they they surveyed a lot of people who are in hospice at the end of life care and they said what are your biggest regrets um, and there was the main ones were i spent too much time at the office and i didn't keep up with friends um who, who and i lost contact with friends and you know those are the relations relationships so yeah I agree. I concur yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So the the kind of the, the the most recent kind of findings from the research that's coming out is basically how people can can do that, can build these relationships. Um and they're talking about the um the idea of social fitness and so basically the practices that that people can do uh, to build these really um rich and fulfilling relationships, whether that's friendships, whether that's relationships personally, romantically, um, or whether it's within within our work. Um so yeah, that's all in in the new book, The Good Life, which we will leave a link to in the show notes. Reminds me of that joke, what's the least believable thing about the Bible? That a man in his mid-30s has got 12 close friends. I think that's a little bit too too yeah. close to the bone there, isn't it? Yeah. Not in terms of religious, just in terms of my life, looking at my friends. I'm like, yeah, I've got two. <laughs> and one of them sat here opposite me now. So what like is... friends, quite a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're acquainted, we're co-hosts. That's it. We, we, we know each other. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I thought that was quite a nice little little link into our uh, coaching today as well, that it's all about relationships really, as we will find out. So in terms of the structured show today, we're asking lots of questions that you might have about coaching and mentoring. What is the difference? Can anyone be a coach or mentor? Do you have to be a certain age or, or have experience of years under your belt to be a coach or a mentor? 
if you want to engage a coach or mentor, what should you expect? How do you know if they're qualified? How do you know if they're, they're going to be any good? Um, and yeah, what is the future of coaching? Is technology going to play a more central role in coaching interventions in the future? So let's start with this, this, this perennial question of what is the difference between a coach and a mentor? Yeah, so we've spoken in earlier episodes about how coaches, mentors and therapists all have a role to play in, in psychological health and development. I think particularly in the burnout episodes, we, we talked about, about that with Will. So if you're considering engaging one of these professionals, it's important to understand the different ways they operate, the types of relationships that you build with them and the different ways that they can help. So let's start by defining mentoring. Here's Julie. I think a coach tends to be, um, well, frankly, a coach is paid. And a mentor generally is not. So a coach is really there to help you see things in yourself and help you grow. But it might have a much more linear goal where mentoring, uh, we see, tends to be just a more overall support of an individual on their well-being journey or whatever it is that they're, they're working towards, how to help them grow to their potential. So I see what Julie's saying is that uh, coaching tends to be paid and mentoring tends not to be paid. Um, I remember I've had a couple of mentors in my life. And just just in case anyone has just arrived from, them, from, from Venus and doesn't know what mentoring is, um, essentially mentoring is where someone who usually who has done the thing before you um, is helping you to achieve the same kind of goal. So, for example, we had on a great guest um, from the Elder Academy, Carrie. Um, and the whole point of the Elders Academy, I think, is that he was, he's the, the guy who started it. Do you remember his name? Uh, Chip Conley. Chip Conley. Um, he was basically the mentors for the guys for Airbnb. So he'd built businesses before and he mentored the guys for Airbnb and then obviously got himself an equity stake, I think, in there. Oof, good for you, Chip. Yeah, nice nice work. Lovely. So that's mentoring. And then we also asked Lucy and Sonia uh, what the difference is. Lucy introduces, I, I think, a really helpful way of, of thinking about it. And it, it it's thinking of it as a continuum. Um, and we'll hear from from Sonia as well, uh, that both coaches and mentors have an important role to play. So here's Lucy. If you think of a continuum of coaching through to mentoring, where mentoring is you want somebody who is an expert in that field, has been there, can say, oh, go to this conference, do this, you know, I'm going to mentor you in this. And coaching is much purer. I don't know anything about your world, but I'm going to ask great questions. I'm going to scaffold your thinking and bring models. Um, and then it's a sort of sliding scale. So for some people with a health goal, they will absolutely want a PT who can tell them what to eat and what exercise to do. But for others, it might be much more of a psychological barrier with exercise. And so they know exactly what they should be doing, but there's something else going on that is stopping them from eating what they know is going to make them feel better in the exercise they could be doing. And that's where knowledge can get in the way, unless you're a very experienced coach and you've got that knowledge and you can park it. And I have firsthand experience of this because I went into coaching from being a fitness and health and well-being coach. And so my first few clients naturally came to me for that, but they didn't want PT advice. They knew exactly what to do. That There was other underlying stuff. And I found it so hard not to say, oh, you know what, you should try it. I'll tell you what, there's a great salsa class around the corner. Or uh, It was really hard for me. Now, I can do that now, uh, but I do see that with other people that come in with expertise. It's so hard to let go of it and be truly curious and then just apply some of the more psychological principles to understanding what's the emotional undercurrent that's going on here, because you're so desperate to solve. Often, uh, people that go into helping professions really want to solve, you know, and so that's, uh, we call it the rescuer syndrome. It's not a real syndrome. It's just a nickname for people that want to help. Um, and so that often comes in. So think of that continuum and anyone listening think, well, 
do I really want to unpick what's going on for me deep down? Or is this, I actually just don't really even know where to get started. And I want someone to tell me what to do or somewhere in between. And that's your sort of difference between a, a coach and a mentor. And, and obviously coaches can do both. Um, but that's something to think about. And here's Sonia's version. So my version of that is I am very experienced leadership trainer. So I work with leadership teams, leadership individuals around the world and really equip them to lead. But I'm also a leadership coach. Am I a mentor in leadership? Yeah. So how do I decide? We talk about the hats that you wear within a session, for example. So we'll come back to the hats. If you want the definition between the two, lots of lots of sort of knowledge around this. But the mentor, you would select a mentor because you would have expected them to have done what you've done before. So, for example, I may be a senior associate in a law firm and I would like to pick a partner as a mentor because I want to go into the partnership world. So I will absolutely don't come to me on that as a mentor because I haven't become a partner in a law firm. But you can work alongside. So a lot of people have a coach and a mentor. So the mentor is there who's going to really help them, inform them, give them the what they did, what they didn't do. They will probably give some advice. We hope they have some coaching skills in there. They may not. Um, but there's lots of different types of mentor out there. So it's really great learning from someone who has been there before. So that is why you would choose them. Um, now, the coach does not have to have been there before at all. Going right back and actually listening in. So I might say, so, Al, it sounds to me like what I'm hearing is there's a lot of frustration around that. What has to happen to remove some of that for you? I don't need to be a mentor, but I really need to get into what is going to stop you. Um, so mentor has been there before, has gone down that path. I expect them to. And I'll ask them some quite detailed question about the professional, what I'm trying to achieve. The coach is the expert in saying, brilliant, that's where you want to go. You're here now. How am I going to help you to get there? One is about putting in advice, um, content. Um, and one is about sort of pulling it out. A good coach like extracts what you've already got in your head. So uh, Nancy Klein, who wrote Time to Think, who's a, a, a very big sort of guru in the area of coaching, said the head that contains the problem also contains the solution. And I think that's a lovely thought. And so as a coach, you're just trying to help pull that out. But as a mentor, you are sort of putting stuff in. You're saying, here's some information. Here's some advice. So that's a sort of shorthand, I suppose, for how you think about it. But there, there is absolutely that blended space in the middle. And I wanted to pick up on what Sonia said about we really hope mentors use coaching skills rather than using it. I've heard lots of stories of mentors kind of using it as a showcase. So look what I've done. Aren't I great? This is, and it becomes very much about them being able to sort of say, look what I've done. You can follow my path. And actually really good mentors do a little bit of putting in, but they also do a lot of pulling out and use coaching skills. So we do have people that are professional mentors coming through Ride the Wave and building their coaching skills to make them better mentors. I read somewhere that that the sort of coaching and mentoring analogy is that a mentor comes from the Greek word, and I'm not clever enough to know exactly what the entomology is, but it comes from the Greek word, which is sort of like mythical creature, someone who's there to guide you towards a particular thing. Whereas a coach, if you think about a coach and horses, then the coach would be the person sitting on top, like kind of whipping the horses. Oh, you can't whip horses these days, I'm sure. But the person who's driving the whole sort of like show forward. Um, and I'm not sure whether that actually helps or muddies the water, but um, I think what, what Lucy and Sonia did was a great explanation of the difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 yeah, the little nuances in, in different ways, coaches and mentors operate really helpful. And of course, you know, opening ourselves up to, to this type of, of support to show 
the vulnerability that's needed to learn and, and develop um, and in some cases heal is a very personal journey. Um, this episode is not intended to have an opinion on which is better mentoring, coaching or therapy. It's up to you, um, you know, to which one you think is, is going to serve you and gain some insights, her own personal experience. experience. I'd had a lot of mental health struggles over the years. I'd struggled to build good habits. I'd had some health struggles as well. And I'm not lying when I say that coaching actually helped me across all of these, like nothing else helped me, like apps didn't help me. Um, yeah, speaking to a therapist didn't actually help me that much. Unfortunately, they do amazing work, but in my case, it didn't help. What I loved about coaching was that it was very forward looking. It wasn't necessarily just about dealing with your past or dealing with issues. It was very forward looking and it wasn't the coach giving me advice or just sitting there and passively listening to me. They, they, gave me agency almost. They they almost gave me permission to figure out my solutions. <laughs> um, and that was incredibly valuable for me. So that meant that I understood that the process of change isn't linear. You, you take steps back, you, you know, like you might be doing really well. And then suddenly you've gone back to your old habits and your old patterns, but that's okay. That's part of the change process. So having someone there in my corner, helping me through the ups and downs of change, helping me navigate complex health systems, uh, like we have all over the world was so helpful um, in many areas of my life. And that's how, so there was that aha moment of, I get why coaching is so helpful for behavior change. I, I get it. And I want to help this. Um, I want to do something in this industry. And I saw the gap there that I could fill. I felt like I was through the combination of skills that I had to fill. And that's, that's why I'm so passionate about it. I really like this idea that, coaches don't give advice. I This is my personal like my personal experience of mentoring and coaching. So, and this is not the proper definition, but I kind of expect a coach not to give me advice, but to help me to achieve something. I'd expect a mentor to give me advice because I'd expect the mentor to have been there before. Um, I mean, how far away from, have, I, have I just ruined the whole idea of coaching versus mentoring there? I agree. I agree. I think coaching isn't really, isn't about giving advice. I think you might offer suggestions or ideally is, as Paul Wynn said, you're trying to empower the other person to, and give them permission to come up with their own solutions. And that's what, what coaching is. It's about enablement. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think advice giving is a, is a key difference perhaps between coaching and mentoring. Definitely. So we asked Julie um, about the whole idea of the image of mentoring because millennials, Gen Z, are they more or less inclined to look for mentors? I think that they feel that the term is very old school. I think everybody has this vision of a mentor. I know I did when I first started having these conversations is like this, you know, okay, frankly, big white man behind a desk, you know, shaking the finger, telling you what to do and how to do it. Um, so I think part of our work with augmenters is getting beyond the word mentoring and actually really talking about it as augmentoring and talking about it as a way to really uh, help benefit each other. So I think Gen Z needs that direction and they need that help, but I think they need to think about it in a different way because the old model doesn't necessarily work for them the same way the old model for a lot of things doesn't necessarily work for them. I mean, especially in the corporate environment, being really mindful of your um, audience, I think the old model was 
you know, leadership says we're having a problem with retention. <laughs> HR, get HR on the phone. We need a mentoring program. Okay, you know, let's just kind of smash people together. You're a woman, you're a woman. Great. Go mentor each other. You're black, you're black. Great. Go mentor each other. Um, and there's not a lot of support around tools, principles, um, content or really ways because what we know is that you have to be able to connect really authentically to be able to have a good mentoring relationship. So the old model is very based on outcomes and function, where the new model is really based on a deeper connection in these relationships, where you're able to really get to know yourself first, and you're really able to be able to get to know someone else to be able to support each other in a very genuine way. So I think the old model of just like smashing people together, sending them off to the sunset, good luck, hope it goes well, hope this increases retention, check the box, we have a mentoring program, versus really helping employees to connect more authentically um, we see that as what you know what we really call augmenting is this next evolution of mentoring. Going back to that idea of of mentoring and coaching on a continuum, I think what Julie's saying there is that mentoring, the old school mentoring, was maybe really really far far to the left, and it, it's kind of coming a little bit um, a little bit further centre with the view of that it's about this authentic connection, these relationships, and I think this is is maybe a similarity that we're seeing with with coaching and mentoring. Julie also mentions the importance of empathy. So empathy is created through empathic listening or active listening. It's that practice of being attentive and responsive to others during the conversation, which might sound simple, but how many people do you talk to that you're like, I know you're just waiting for me to stop talking so you can say what you wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is kind of of being that person that that will hold that space, will listen empathically, uh, will we'll find that connection, will find similarities with, you know, between their experience and, and your own and, and really give that heartfelt response or that more appropriate feedback given on, on what you've said. It builds mutual understanding. It builds mutual respect. Um, and it really is about this kind of balance in the relationship between the speaker and the listener, or in this case, between the mentor and mentee or coach and coachee. Yeah, I think you said one of the best things that you, I mean, you're already a fantastic listener, but you said some of the feedback from yourself and some of the other people on the course you were doing with Sonia and Lucy was that they were teaching you how to just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. I think they do mention something called a magic minute, um, where it's just you, the person will stop talking and you don't say anything. And that often can lead to uh, to other people, to them just expanding on what they were going to say. So let's have a little listen to Sonia as she talks about the importance of listening in coaching. We would, we often say, and we ask people to sort of think, wait, wait, ask yourself, why am I talking? Um, is it that the time should be use, useful, me imparting information or knowledge or or helping them, or should I be listening to what's going on? So the balance absolutely should be, they should be doing most of the talking and we lightly navigate and guide and help them through. One of the biggest, most important things that we notice in coaching in terms of balance, the questioning and listening is the power of the pause. So the power of the pause, I ask you a question and I wait and I wait and I let you think and I get comfortable with that silence. And then I might just say, oh, um, what else? And then you might say what you really want to say. Now, if I'm so busy chatting away to you and conversing with you, I'll never hear what you really wanted to say. So um, that's something we notice a lot and help our um, our people with. I was reading a case study on on this, um, and it was kind of kind of an add on to that technique, which is so powerful that Sonia just mentioned there. But particularly if you have a, a coachee who's getting quite emotional as they're thinking about this question, is the coach saying something like? I don't want to disturb, 
the moment you're having here. But can I ask you what it is that you're experiencing here? Oh, that's good. Yeah. And it's just things like coaching questions like that that just give me goosebumps because it just allows you, as Pauline said before, it gives you permission to really be that vulnerable and, and to really kind of think about those, those solutions. So yeah, great advice from Sonia there. And if you're listening and you're in sales, listen up. Do do what, what we've just talked about there because that is one of the best things you can do in a sales environment is when someone you just ask someone to describe what their situation is at this point in time and you go, uh-huh, and just shut up. Because they expect you in a sales position to come back and go, oh, well, I think I can help you with this and our widget will do all this. No, don't do that. Just listen and leave that magic moment. Julie also believes that listening plays a central role in mentoring. The biggest mentorship killer is not listening. Um, to the person who is coming to you. Um, and conversely, I guess it's not sharing authentically, right? If somebody's not actually sharing what's really going on, then that person can't listen. But but that's the key piece is, is being able to um, really share authentically and being able to listen to each other. So, so far we've had one difference between coaching and mentoring. That is advice that mentors give advice and coaches don't necessarily. And two similarities in that you need to have a great relationship and you need to be good at listening and have empathy. So what else? I was curious about this. Can someone who's 19 be a mentor? Can they be a coach? So we asked Julie, can you be a mentor And if you haven't got gray hair? Yeah, I think the key thing is really about the vision, right? Is What is the vision of the 22-year-old or the 25-year-old? What is the vision? You know, what are they working towards? What do they care about? What, are, what is important to them? And how are they trying to grow to their potential? So if the 25-year-old has three years more experience and can help guide, can help coach, can help um, the, you know, the mentee kind of think more deeply about themselves, then great. So I think it's really more about the um, outcome and a little bit more about the goal versus the age um, between each other. But with any relationship, both people have to want to be there. <laughs> um, so I guess that's really a key piece, right? Does the 25-year-old really want to mentor the 22-year-old? And does the 22-year-old want to be mentored by a 25-year-old? And if they're both engaged in it, um, then what we really believe in with augmenters is setting up, setting them each up for success and giving them, you know, an opportunity to really get to know themselves better, to get to know each other better. So I think it has no age. Uh, and I think you can learn just as much from somebody who's a peer um, as you could somebody who's who has more, you know, decades more experience than you. So no, Julie is saying you don't have to be a particular age um, or older to be a mentor. But what about coaching? Can you be a coach in your early 20s? Here's Lucy. Oh, I'm really passionate about this. Absolutely. It's all about perspective. And one of our values at Ride the Wave is celebrating diversity. And we talk a lot about diversity in every way. And age is absolutely one of those because so many coaches have been seen to be sort of over 40 and have big executive careers. And it feels like a industry that maybe is not for you or not achievable for everybody to get a coach. And at Ride the Wave, we encourage lots of younger people to come and train with us. So our youngest, I think, is 22. Um, and actually, she was utterly fabulous. I got coaching from her as part of the training because Sonia and I always join in and, and and take part in the coaching. And it's the perspective that younger people have and just different eyes. And coaching, and I know we're going to get into this a bit later, it is so different from mentoring. You don't need to have had the experience to be there. It's one of the reasons I call my practice cheerleading, because coaching, certainly from a sports angle, comes with, well, if you're going to be a football coach, you have to know about football. Uh, but 
actually to be an executive coach, a professional coach, a personal coach, it's very much about staying detached, as Sonia said. And how much easier is it to detach if you've not had that experience and you can remain genuinely curious, ask great questions and you really have to listen. You're not going to make any assumptions because, oh, my goodness, you don't know what it's like to be uh, lead a big team of people or be a parent at 22. So you will potentially ask better questions and offer a whole fresh new perspective without getting caught up in the story and bringing your own baggage. That's what I liked about the Samaritans as well. They were very much into diversity in terms of age. You know, it's about your ability to listen and hold a space. Um, I was 19 when I became a, a Samaritan. So yeah, age is, age is not always a, a factor and particularly not in the field of coaching. And yeah, Sonia agrees. She points out that younger coaches may experience some challenges, but the value that they have to offer is inspiring. Yes. So there are different challenges. So uh, totally agreeing with what Lucy is saying about the ability to coach is absolutely not age dependent. However, yes, when it comes to marketing and setting up a business and finding your clients, there are just different challenges. There are different things. So, for example, it used to be. Uh, so my wonderful ex um, colleague who is now retired, he was saying, it's brilliant. The more grey hair I get, the better in this industry, the more credibility I have. And that used to be the case because executive coaching was very much seen as we want the wise sort of older person who's been there. However, it'd be wrong to dismiss the fact that there are some credibility issues in terms of certain clients appointing certain coaches. So the key thing, as Lucy mentioned, is there are many different types of coaching and knowing your niche and knowing what you can offer. But I think that's a whole different topic in terms of marketing and commercials is different in terms of ability to coach. Everything Lucy said and, and this sort of when we come to talk about mentoring, the reverse mentoring is exceptionally powerful. And what I love is a lot of people I coach are really struggling with managing and leading younger people. And they keep using what I call a lot of stereotyping. And they all think that the whole generation are doing this or not doing this. It isn't true. And so therefore, to work with a younger coach, um, I think could be very inspiring uh, and, and perspective broadening. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. In fact, if you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to say Yeah, no, we copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So there we go. That sums that up. I think what, a warning, there are a non-technical person who's about to try and use a technical phrase. That's me. Um, so I think what we, what we are talking about here is transactional and transformational coaching. So Leanne, please correct me, but it feels like we can make a case that mentoring is more transactional. As in, there is a transaction I want to get from A to B. But 
maybe coaching is more transformational. You need to make a trans- transformation. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a broad generalization. And that's what we're going to have to do here if we're talking about kind of the broad differences between mentoring and coaching. Yeah, I, th- I think that that is a is a, a good a good way of, of looking at, at the difference. Not to say that coaches can't also be transactional. So for example, if you're talking about like maybe interview coaching, that's going to be much more transactional um, than, you know, talking about, you know, as Lucy said, the psychological changes that might need to happen for you to embrace exercise. Uh, that is more transformational. Um, so yeah, let's, let's hear a bit more on that from, from our experts. Let's go to Sonia first on the difference between transactional and transformational coaching. There are two different sort of types of coaching here. There's transactional coaching. So I would like to become better at presenting might be a topic someone brings to coaching. It's what we call transactional coaching. So the need for vulnerability isn't there. So I think we need to be careful. We don't have our poor listeners think you have to be vulnerable to come to coaching Um, because there's a lot of very transactional coaching that takes place, which really only needs a lightweight touch in the relationship and sort of um, relatively simplistic surface level coaching. Brilliant. So that is a lot of coaching. Now, There is also the very fertile ground of transformational coaching, which is that double loop learning, which is absolutely your point about saying, I really need to go back. I've tried X. I haven't got the result I need. I keep changing X, but I'm still not getting the result I need. We may need to dig deeper. What are the assumptions, the beliefs, the mindset that you have about this that is actually your identity, the really rich part that is stopping you? Going back to what Lucy was talking about, weight loss, nutrition, exercise, rarely, rarely is it simply at transactional level, which is why we've got a trillion billion pound. I think that's word trillion billion. Make it up anyway. uh, Industry uh, of well-being. And it's and it's still one of the fastest growing because we're not dealing with core belief, your identity, what is really happening there. So really, that's where you need coaches who are trained to that superior level. By that, we talk about uh, the advanced level, which our program is. They are capable. They have activity. They are able to guide you through belief review, belief challenge, and rewriting of belief. Different to counselling. That's a whole different topic, counselling versus coaching. But the core belief bit is really important. Um, so, yes, it, but you need you need a skilled coach to do that. And certainly everyone who's been on our program is absolutely equipped to start working with you on the core belief. So let's hear Lucy's thoughts on this. I w- was going to quote our lovely colleague, Michael, who's our accreditation lifeguard at Ride the Wave. He taught me I used to run a program with him. And he, um, he always said, if you're not at fear, doubt or insecurity, you're not really there. You've got to keep digging till you get down to the fear, doubt or insecurity. I guess the caveat I put there is Sonia's great point I've gone very much into that sort of transformational coaching mode this morning I'm thinking about my own coaching um uh, that I have with my coach and the coaching I do but Sonia's right there's absolutely that more transactional coaching where you don't need to get spit out of insecurity just need to help somebody do a good presentation or deliver a report at the end of the week but really when you're getting into the juicy stuff like if you're not and we see this with new coaches a lot they will do the okay and when do you think you can do that by and have you let's help you get a plan in place and it's all and I'm like, get get under it, rip the surface off this, peel the layers of the onion back. There are many metaphors here. And and as Mike would say, get to the fear, the doubt or the insecurity. And so that, that sort of tongue in cheek that you said about sort of paid, laid or lose weight, 
does come into, you know, we talked about monkeys and we haven't explicitly mentioned the chimp paradox, but of course the chimp, Dr. Steve Peters, it, the chimp basically wants to be fed and stay alive and have sex. Um, they are the core human drive. So there's so much truth in that tongue in cheek, isn't there? Is that we need money to survive and have a roof over our head, meet our needs. It's all about meeting our, our needs. So, um, yes, I've now forgotten your original question of asking for four things, but I felt like that fear, doubt or insecurity is something you're really kind of, uh, that more transformational coaching looking for thinking back to what julie said before as well you know she said that the you know the main difference between coaches and mentors is that that coaches are paid and mentors aren't so if mentors typically aren't paid we had to ask why bother being a mentor is it just altruism we see as mentors uh both jimmy and myself are you know sort of gen z younger mentees that are coming to us and asking us for questions in our relationship we're able to you know if you're if you're thinking your outcome is actually learning a new skill wow we learn a lot we learn a lot about tiktok we learn a lot about how the evolution of gen z's perspective on social justice on issues related to um diversity equity inclusion you know we learn so much from our mentees um, that we can bring into our work because we're not Gen Z. Um, I won't say which Gen I am, but it's definitely not Z. Uh, so, so that's a benefit for us. So I think you get two things. One, Al, your experience, you get this feeling of feeling really great and being able to have these relationships. And then if you're working in the professional environment, oftentimes you're learning new skills and a perspective that you can bring into your work, especially if you're, you know, in consumer marketing or anything like that. Everybody's looking, you know, thinking about what younger consumers uh, care about. I feel like the transfer of value is pretty clear with with coaching. Coaches, um, you know, get paid, although not always. We do have pro bono coaching in certain certain areas and, and situations. Um, but the point is the coach is getting the full value add. Whereas mentorship sounds a bit more like a mutual exchange of, of this value. And I guess, we, you know, we've heard that in, in corporate as well, like pairing a boomer with a millennial, for example, in kind of a mutual mentoring relationship. And I think as well, it also seems to inform how mentoring and coaching is embedded within an organization. You know, this mentoring is about helping others, supporting peers and managers, uh, you know, contributing to onboarding of new employees, perhaps. But it seems rooted in this more direct transfer of knowledge and experience. And as Julie explains, the new era of mentoring is moving away from the leader necessarily being the mentor and rather mentoring being the responsibility of everyone in the organization. Um, I think that's a great question because obviously as a, you know, as a leader, you cannot do that. But I think really delegating to, uh, to, you know, continue to delegate all the way through the organization that it becomes a responsibility of everybody in the organization. And again, what we talked about, augmenting is not just about mentor, mentee, I'm senior, you're junior, I know, you don't, um, you know, pairing people up to be able to really, you know, connect with each other and help each other grow to their potential. How do they both continue to grow? Um, so I think making sure that mentoring is the responsibility of everybody in the organization, and it's just part of the culture. Uh, it's just part of what you do. And uh, and again, making sure that the, that priority is set and people are, are setting time up for it. But I have to be honest, it's easier said than done because even though I obviously care deeply about mentoring, I run a mentoring podcast. <laughs> I talk a lot about mentoring. You know, we are a busy bunch of bees over at Eat Well Global, and it is hard for us to make uh, time for it as well. Um, but we do try to really create the culture of caring deeply about each other and helping each other grow to our potential. It could also be argued that we're actually seeing the opposite when it comes to coaching in in the organization in terms of 
of, you know, the idea of leader as coach, it's become much more more common in, in organizational psychology and business and, and for good reason. I was reading some research by Gallup that estimates the cost of poor management and the related productivity costs in the US alone cost between $980 billion and $1.2 trillion per year. And globally, that's thought to be about $7 trillion. That's numbers I can't even understand. No, there was there was some weird thing on I saw on YouTube saying that a million seconds is thir- a million seconds is thirty two minutes, a billion seconds is thirty two years, and a trillion seconds is like thirty two thousand years or something like that. It was it was incredible. So yeah, it's an, it's it's more money than than I think I'll see in my lifetime. It's quite it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot. Um, so I think you know what what's interesting is that um, you know this 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 leader is coach is is come around because there's many elements of coaching that can translate into really effective leadership. I mean, goal setting, for example. You know, often coaches will work with their coachee to set goals and monitor them to evaluate them. You know, and that all drives their personal development. If we apply that to performance development in a in a work setting. Research has shown that employees who managers involve them in the goal setting, so the employees are involved in that process of setting their own performance goals, they're four times more likely to be engaged employees, which we know is a massive problem in the world at the minute with quiet quitting. Yet only 30% of employees actually experience this process of setting goals in, in partnership with their managers. So what's interesting about Paul Wynn, the lady who's um, who's introducing the coaching platform that is augmented by AI, um, is that she's had lots of experience in some quite cool companies. So she worked at Canva before this. And the culture at Canva was quite interesting. They were definitely coaching-led. Uh, saying earlier, that's where I got introduced to coaching. So at Canva, there's an internal coaching team who support everyone who is interested in receiving coaching. So they are professional coaches from various backgrounds, but they're uh, embedded within the company and they help the teams. I believe Atlassian has uh, coaching as well. When I was there, I don't know if it was as prevalent, but I believe they do have that now. And it might be aimed more at people in leadership positions, more exec coaching um, type of coaching rather than available to everybody who wants it. Um, The one difference there was at Canva, managers are referred to as coaches and are encouraged to use coaching principles in management, which I thought was um, really great because uh, it shifts the responsibility or it shifts the lens through which you view management from being something that is, I'm just keeping track of whether people are performing and getting things done to one where you're really invested in the person's growth and you're really, um, you want to deliver that personalized uh, growth experience to each of your team members. Uh, so that, that shift was really, really cool and um, nice in Canva. So Paul Wynn also worked at Alassian before that. Here's our experience at Alassian. I don't know um, Scott and Mike that well. I've met them. I've like had chats with them, but I don't know them very well. Um, but the first thing I'll say is that they are so down to earth. They have no pretensions at all. They are so approachable. Um, so there was no reason for anyone to have um, feelings about the fact that uh you know, Mike and Scott are uh, overnight they are billionaires or, I mean, they've been billionaires for a while. There was 
very little of that, none of that that I noticed and certainly nothing from my side at all because of the fact that they are so friendly, so approachable. But more than that, they are incredibly smart people who are also humble and that's quite rare. And um, I loved I loved the fact that they were like that. Um, and uh, in terms of people and culture, the difference uh, and yeah, going back to your point of at IPO, I believe, I'm not sure if I'm exactly right, but I believe that Scott and Mike together had over 60% uh, of the company, which is quite unusual um, generally for uh, venture-backed companies at IPO uh, time. It's quite unusual for the founders to have that much equity. To be totally honest, there's very little difference between Atlassian and Canva in terms of culture. culture. There are some differences, but both companies were incredibly fun to work at. They had um, as much as possible a flat hierarchy. So you could approach anyone and speak to anyone about anything that you had. Um, there were small differences in how efficient people were in getting things moving. And I think that's more to do with the size of the companies rather than anything else. Paul, in really showcasing there how coaching is becoming part of our leadership practices and the impact of that, about 40 billion, didn't it? So not bad. It was more like 80 billion. Was it? Oh, well, then, then there you Did go. Well. So now we've talked about what mentoring and coaching is, the differences between them and the similarities. How can you find a mentor or a coach? We asked Julie, what's the best and perhaps worst way to find a mentor? This is such a great question. So as part of Augmenters, we have eight principles and one is search. And we really believe uh, really doing a deep dive search on somebody that you would like to be your mentor, which actually really starts at the first principle, which is vision. What do you want to accomplish? If you just reach out to somebody and see that they are really successful and make a lot of money and that's what you want and you just reach out to them, that's quite, you know, that vision can be quite shallow. So really setting your vision, knowing what you want to get out of a mentoring relationship, doing the real search. Who is the right person? And then do your homework. What do they care about? What are they posting on LinkedIn? What can you bring to the relationship so that when you do approach them, it's from a position of respect, of mutual admiration, and hopefully creating a mutually beneficial relationship? Because our belief is that all augmenting relationships benefit both the mentor and the mentee, and they create this evolution, this evolution of the relationship. So just reaching out cold, hey, you're super successful. Will you be my mentor? That's not going to get you anywhere. For more advice and information on mentoring, we'll leave Julie's contact details in the show notes so you can get in touch. So we talk a lot about the value of coaching on the podcast and particularly the value it can offer for leaders to be coached. But as we know, finding the right coach is really important to the success of that coaching relationship. So we asked Sonia and Lucy, what's the best way to find a coach? It's very tempting. Our human nature is to want to be around people that are similar to us often. Uh, maybe they look or sound like us or have similar backgrounds. And actually, for a lot of people, if you look at your friendship groups, um, they tend to be quite similar people to you. So I think you want to go the opposite of that and choose someone that you wouldn't necessarily be friends with. Even somebody you don't like is quite good. Somebody that you could be vulnerable with, though. So not somebody you feel like you need to impress. So I think the ability to be vulnerable with this person, that they will make you feel safe and you don't feel like, oh, I kind of want to impress them a bit or show off in any way is bad because you need to absolutely let your guard down to get the very best out of coaching. You know, somebody somebody that is going to challenge your way of thinking that maybe makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I always say to our coaches in training at the end when they reflect and we go in and do our observed reflections, I say, how, how did you feel when you were doing that coaching session? 
And if they say, yes, good, yes, I felt really good, quite comfortable, like that's, that's not okay. You need to feel uncomfortable as a coach, actually, all of the time. And I challenge myself, um, am I getting a bit too cosy with this person? Do I actually really like this person? It's becoming a bit more of a chat. Or am I constantly pushing where necessary and asking questions that are difficult are going to make that person uncomfortable. And it's not something we do in normal conversations generally is to make people feel uncomfortable. And so I think you want to make sure you've got a coach that has got those strong boundaries, can hold you safely, but can absolutely give you uh, what they call the loving boot. So it's done with empathy and compassion and kindness, but it's tough. Like you're not going to like this. So I sometimes call myself like a Harley Quinn type cheerleader. Like I'm going to be there for you, but it might might hurt along the way. This is not going to be a cozy, a cozy cup of tea kind of chat. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to make you work hard. So I think that's that's certainly what I'm looking for in a coach. Uh, but e- equally, I think when you when you decide you need a coach, really think about what it what it is you want and what you're going through at that time. Because if you're having a really difficult time emotionally, maybe you don't want somebody who's going to be absolutely kick ass the whole time. You need somebody who's going to offer a little bit more um, compassion and, and and support along the way. And Al, I think that's why they come to us at Ride the Wave because we've got probably the most or certainly one of the most diverse community of coaches. So we have a lot of people come to us and, and we talk to them and we listen. And then we say, well, look, we've got a, such a range of coaches here. I'll never chat with these two. They'll be very different, but they might be probably someone you won't find out in the marketplace easily. Because it is difficult to find the right coach. It is hard. You don't know what you're choosing. Um, so we have what we call a chemistry call. Uh, and we strongly encourage that. So you might, we would, for example, be this sort of helper in helping shortlist, give people to say, go and have a little chat with them. We suggest 30 minute chemistry call. And see, because um, <clears throat> as Lucy said, we do want challenge to be there, but we need you to feel comfortable. And the relationship does matter. So it does matter that you feel safe with that person and that you feel understood. And then you might go into that mm-hmm. sort of challenge and the vulnerability piece. But the initial bit means high support um, and safety with the coach. One of the downsides of coaching is that anyone can say, I'm a coach. And so you, so you say, right, I'm, I've set myself up as a coach. Whereas if you go someone like Ride the Wave, there are other, other organizations, but Ride the Wave's our favorite, um, then they're going to find you an accredited coach. That's someone who's actually gone through the process. So I asked Sonia this, can anyone become a coach? Yes, they can. So it's totally non-regulated. And anyone can, of course, say they're a coach. Um, now, the first thing I ever do is I go immediately to look at, where have you trained? Number one, where, where are you trained? It's just like, you can't be a coach unless you've been trained. Um, so what and what was the quality of the training? And then for me, there is a link to the quality of the training. So which body, which professional body or, or sort of authenticated that training? Where's the quality stamp? So was it accredited training? And then did you go further? And particularly if you are an external coach, and this is where it's really important and people are buying your services. Are you individually accredited? to show you really have taken your profession seriously. You really have committed to supervision, which is really important. You've committed to continuous professional development, self-reflection. You're with the body of people where you keep growing. I think about a coach's role, it's not stagnant. It has to develop. It has to evolve because we're operating in a changing world. So for me, unless you show an evidence that you are not doing what you were doing year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Paulwyn also has a, a view on this. And for her, she finds the fact that coaching isn't highly regulated is actually one of the things that makes coaching so special. I love that coaching is not so regulated because because of that fact that if something works for you, 
that's amazing and it works for you. Who cares whether it's objectively um, correct or not? And also, we know for a fact that scientific literature and research often is not necessarily keeping up with the realities of modern life and the realities of how our brains work and how we think and how we adapt. So in that sense, I like that coaching isn't hugely regulated. But I also see the problem of as an industry grows and grows and grows, and it is growing. It's one of the fastest growing industries in the world. I can see how it can cause harm when if it is applied in a way that um, is not well thought out or is um, ignorant even. So I do see the dangers of that. So it's tricky. Like like with any... I, I have this theory that life is all about balance <laughs> and I believe it's the case here as well where it's about finding that balance where it's okay to experiment. It's okay to be out there. It's okay to be crazy and esoteric. If it works for you, it's great. But what happens if even after all the due diligence, you pick the wrong coach? Here's Lucy. So if you've chosen to work with somebody and you're a couple of sessions in and you're thinking, this doesn't work. I always say to people, you know, definitely feed that back to your coach, you know, definitely say, like, I'm not quite sure um, this is working. Can we can we change it up a little bit and have a very open and honest dialogue? Because actually, if you're with a, a coach to go back to our earlier point, that's well trained and accredited, they will be in supervision. They'll take that to supervision. They'll reflect on it. They'll have done the work on themselves. So they w- they shouldn't get defensive. If, if they start getting defensive and blaming you and saying, oh, well, you turn up late and you're not a very good coachee, you immediately know you're in the wrong hands. A good coach will say, Okay, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. When do you sense that? Have you sensed this with anybody else? They'll start coaching you on that very topic that you said, I'm not feeling this. So definitely feed it back um, because it may just be a, a simple thing that's easier to come unstuck. Or it may be that they said something which absolutely hits to, into your core beliefs that is against your core beliefs. They may have dropped something in which is, you know, totally misogynistic or something where you think, I, you know, and in which case it's okay to to break off that coaching relationship. Um, as as the paying client and say, do you know what, this this isn't working for me or I've got enough from it. And you don't have to tell them exactly why if you don't feel comfortable. But in the spirit of honesty and feedback, you know, you can say, look, there's a couple of things here that don't work for me. And hopefully as a good coach will reflect and they, they may learn from that and then you can go and find another coach. But I think you have to trust your your instinct of can you remain being vulnerable and comfortable and feel really held in that space. And, and you'll know when you're in that space if you feel like that. So we've looked at how you find a coach. We've looked at what happens if you think you've picked the wrong coach. Let's go a little bit more into Polwyn's world uh, where she thinks and as, as I do, that AI and tech can massively improve the way that coaches actually administer the coaching. So I asked her a bit more about where she came up with this idea. Looking at the kind of tools that coaches were often using, which was pen and paper, a patchwork of different tools to deliver that process of coaching, I was really inspired to start building something that could be the tool that they use in their day to day. So it's not like we don't want to build an admin tool or a marketplace for coaches, but we really want to build a tool that they can live in, so to speak, and deliver their coaching, whatever form of coaching that might be. So it's a very fuzzy problem. And as an engineer with, uh, you know, that engineering thinking, it's a very complex and very intricate problem. So I find it very um, interesting and very exciting to work on. So I find this really interesting because I'm a really big AI geek. So I asked Paulwyn, do you think that AI could potentially replace coaching in the future? 
Yeah, I think it could potentially replace AI in some form, could potentially replace some elements of coaching. But going a bit deeper into what a coaching session generally looks like, there is a lot of active listening in a coaching session on the part of the coach. Um, there is, often they use silence as a way of encouraging their clients to think deeper and go deeper within themselves. Um, and they employ different techniques like active listening, using silence and pauses and Socratic questioning, uh, which is a bit like when I talk about it, it does sound a bit fuzzy and it's very qualitative. It's very sort of textural. And I have yet to see AI, ChatGPT or uh, Google Spot or any other like AI tool um, get to that level of sophistication in um, human connection and empathy. So I think um, there, there may be elements of coaching like intervening in certain moments, perhaps that AI could start um, doing. But I think that that coaching session to me is still a sacred space where AI will for a while, I think, play a supporting role. But, you know, maybe Paulwyn would say that, you know, given her mission of what she's doing at Medu. So, you know, what do our coaches think? Is AI a threat? Here's Lucy. I think there's definitely a role for technology and to allow this to happen at scale. I think people that are panicking, there's a brilliant podcast actually by the Association for Coaching on Technology and AI and Coaching. Um, people that are panicking about, oh, it's going to take our jobs. It's absolutely not, but it is going to help us reach more people at scale and some of this transactional coaching. Um, and actually, Sonia and I actually do this with this 10 question activity that I mentioned. We have 10 questions and we read them out to, to the group uh, when we work with groups um, without them answering they just write down their answers so that's absolutely you could just program that in and that is that is a chatbot asking questions and people always come out at the end of that we say how confident do you feel about moving forward on a scale of one to ten about taking the next action and we did one yesterday with a group and most people are moving for eight nine or ten in terms of they spent 10 minutes answering questions on their own as we were effectively reading it out like a chatbot. So I think that transactional piece, great, but there's absolutely no doubt that the icing and the cherry and all the accoutrements go on the cake when you put a human in there who can listen and the mirror neurons that fire up when you're working with somebody and the endorphins that flow when you're in that conversation with a human cannot be replicated by technology. May I? I think it's fantastic. I think it actually um, is about our, our whole values, which is accessibility. So, you know, it is still very difficult to be able to access a coach across the world because usually it takes money. We do a lot of work at Ride the Wave on pro bono coaching. So we do try and break down that with our social impact scholarships and the pro bono coaching we do. So we try to break that down. But we're talking about a tiny drop in a massive ocean. So the thought exactly, as Lucy said, that people can go and do some work on a much more cost effective way to, to solve a lot of everyday life problems would be amazing. We'd, we'd be delighted to contribute to that in any way we can. We believe there are enough resources in the world. They're just not in the right hands. So this is a lovely example of making it more widespread. But also, as Lucy said, that's great. But we do know. There's many, many things that we need to go away and it might be really useful. So as a coach, I'm thinking, it'd be wonderful if I say, right, perhaps before we start to make good use of your time, perhaps go and do a little bit of preparation using something AI wise to get your thinking ready. Bring it to me. I would love to know what did you what did you make of it? Where did you go? So almost scaffold their thinking a little bit before they come and deal with the human being. 
Um, human connection is massive. And we know that from the lockdowns that we've had. It, even if everything was made available to us and we moved so swiftly to do a lot of that, didn't we? But we still missed that human connection and we wanted it. So no threat. Absolutely brilliant advance. Very excited to see where it go. Also slightly scary, having just seen the film Megan. Um, if you haven't seen it, go and see it. <laughs> but um, that's a different topic. I don't think coaches will be threatened by Megan. She's basically the new version of Chucky, if you remember that old film. But anyway, um, exciting area of AI to explore. I don't think there's any need to bring Chucky into this, Sonia. <laughs> Nightmares. Um, but yeah, no, I, and I was I was teasing you before, Paul Wynn. Um, the more I hear about about Medu and and you know its influence in the coaching space, the more I'm I'm excited. And and as Sonia Lee said there, just the influence of, of technology in general on coaching and maybe potentially mentoring and therapy. Um, I think it's it's really exciting. So let's hear some more from Paul Wynn about the Medu platform, its development, and what she hopes will be its future legacy. I should start by saying we are a one-year-old product, so very early in the in the journey of the product itself, and we're launching uh, a public beta next month. So the first um, the first experience that a coach has is you can add your coachee, and you have this shared journal. So the shared journaling is kind of at the core of Midu, where you are both documenting your discussions. Um, and that can be during the discussion. It can be outside of the discussion in between your sessions, or it can be at the end of a session, you make some time to document what you've discussed. Um, so, but the, the idea is that we want to recreate that share, that, that safe space that you have with your coachee. It's recreated in a tool, and that's your shared journal. So that's where you capture your coaching discussions. You can capture your goals. You can get, capture the different steps that you want to take towards those goals, um, as well as track progress. So now that there's all this rich data in there, we can then visualize this in different ways. So we can show you how you're tracking towards your goals, and then we can allow you to drill deeper, navigate your shared journal in, in different ways so that you understand Things like, oh, my mood is up and down when I talk about these things. Um, why is that? So it allows you to uh, introspect a bit more. It allows your coach and yourself to work together to understand what is going on um, better. And then, of course, we have a mind map feature, which is generated with the help of AI, which shows you the different themes of your conversations, how they're evolving, how they're connected to different things you've discussed, as well as how they're connected to your goals and your progress. Um, on top of all of this, for coaches, we have some special features, which include um, a place for you to cre create a system around your coaching. So if you've got certain tools, activities or resources that you tend to use regularly in your coaching, you can collect all of them together in the one place and then you can choose to drip feed that to your coaches at appropriate times into that shared space. I would love for Medu to be known for as the go-to tool for anyone who is applying coaching principles to deliver uh, coaching in, in any form. So that could be um, a coach, so that could be an exec coach or a leadership coach working with C-level people. That could be a life coach working with someone who is going through a tough patch in their life. It could even be a therapist who is applying um, essentially coaching principles to help, um, again, people deal with trauma or other um, aspects of their past. It could also be managers who are applying, interested in applying coaching principles to developing their people. 
That last one in particular, we think is going to be a bit of a trend because the more the younger generation joins the workforce with Gen Z joining the workforce, their expectations of work and management are quite different. There is higher expectation of that personalized um, experience of career growth and personal growth. And we also know that managers have a huge impact on people's mental health. So we want to be the tool that puts um, coaching um, techniques, coaching tools and coaching principles in the hands of all of these people uh, who care for people's mental health. And we want to strengthen these relationships. We want to augment these relationships through the use of technology so that people can have that holistic um, approach to their growth, their inner growth uh, applied to any aspect of their life. I think Medu sounds like a really cool platform that I would want to use both as a coach and a coachee. Um, I think it sounds fantastic. If you would like more information on Medu, head over to medu.live. That's M-E-D-O-O. And you can join the launch waitlist. Lovely. So let's talk about the science business case. Is there a business case in terms of actual science for coaching? Yeah, there is. And I mean, if you're still not convinced at this point, I I mean, I I could go on about how coaching psychology is recognized as a, as a specialism in, in the global psychology community, including the British Psychological Society. There are science-backed models spanning all different types of, of coaching, from behavioral coaching to positive psychology coaching, goal setting. Um, but if you're really a skeptic, it's probably neuroscience research that might convince you. So neuroscience research has shown us that coaching helps us to develop positive new neural networks, respond more calmly to stress, make choices more easily um, and also access much more of our creativity. Um, And yeah, so this is basically our our brain chemistry, structure of our brain is changing as we go through this coaching intervention. So that's the science case for it. But what about the business case for it? Let's hear from Lucy. Most of your teams are working at less than 40% of their capacity. What would you do to be able to double that? Like what would you pay to be able to at least double it? Yeah. Another way to think of it is like car service. You know, you keep driving your car and it might absolutely be um, on the road still. However, its fuel consumption is shot and it's costing you an awful lot to keep refueling it. Hey, take it in for the car service, pay for the car service, the coaching. And guess what? Your car now drives superbly and takes and uses half the fuel it ever used. I mean, it's a no brainer. 300 quid for the service and I'm going to save 3000 pounds in fuel every year. So, um, you know, there are measures of uh, return on investment and we can work with our clients on all sorts of things. We try and find out what are some of the problems. It might be about um, retention. The cost of employing someone new to a business is huge. So therefore, um, they want to keep talent. It costs a lot to lose someone, but also it costs an awful lot to keep someone who shouldn't be in the business is causing an awful lot of problems. Let us come in and work with that. So that's where the team coaching, group coaching, individual coaching comes in, all that dysfunction. So there's lots of things. And sometimes there's just a return on expectation. What is it you want to see change? How will the coaching enable that? Even if the tangible financials aren't that clear, you know, as marketeers, we could pretend they are. But sometimes they're not always that measurable. But the return on expectation can always be um, measured. That's what I love about Sonia and Lucy. They're just so honest and transparent. And and yes, you know, state the fact this is the financial return you will probably see in terms of, of your effectiveness as a leader. Uh, but also it might just make you feel a whole lot better and, and things will start to, to feel a bit more easy in your life. And to be honest, I don't think you can put a, a monetary value on on that. Absolutely. So, and ultimately, you know what? 
If you don't know, just try it. This is what Lucy said. Try it. Why not try it? You know, if you've got a toothache, you call a dentist. If your skin looks a bit saggy, you go and get a facial. Um, if your thinking's a bit clouded, why wouldn't you go to a coach? Like, it's just not in the common everyday, you know, old black book, is it? Of You know, you've got someone to go to for these different things. Your back hurts, you call your physio. But so so much of the time, our, our thinking is foggy or we feel a little bit lost or directionless or lacking motivation. And it's it's not enough to go, oh, I'm going to go to my GP. I don't need a therapist or a counsellor for this, but I just need someone to help lift me, elevate me. Um, so try it out. And if, you know, if budget is a problem, we looked at the ICF study last year that came out on access to coaching and a lot of people would like coaching, but they find that budget is a problem. Come and talk to us at Ride the Wave because we have lots of coaches who are qualified, not yet accredited, who offer discounted rates of coaching. And then the next step beyond that is if you're working for a charity or social impact organisation and there's really no budget at all, we do have the pro bono coaching. So, so come and check us out. We'd love to give everyone a little taster of coaching. And I am actually a coach on the um, the um, social impact program with Ride the Wave. So if is that, that right? is you, you might you might come and come and talk to me, which would be lovely. Thank you so much to all of our incredible guests today. I know we've given you a lot to digest and a lot to think about, but hopefully now you are equipped to know what kind of support you need, where to find it, how to know if it's good, um, and the returns on on your investment that you're likely to see. Thank you to Julie Mayer from Augmenters, Lucy and Sonia from Ride the Wave, and of course, Paul Wynn from Medu. We will leave all of their contact details in the show notes. Yeah, fantastic guests, a lot to take in. Um, and hopefully you now know the difference between mentoring, between coaching. You also now know what you're looking for. Is it, is it transactional? Is it transformational coaching? I think that's what Al and I are qualified to do. We see huge value in mentoring as well. And of course, uh, more therapeutic practices. If you would like some advice um, on the type of support that, that we offer, um, or perhaps where you can find a coach that will serve your needs, do get in touch with us um, either through LinkedIn or we always leave our email address in the show notes. Bet you didn't notice that before, did you? Did you even read the show notes? Yeah, we spent hours on those bloody show notes. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us and um, stay safe. I, 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 I never what say that. What are we talking about next week? Do we know? So next week we are answering the question. <laughs> I'm chuckling because I'm not quite sure whether to beep this out or not. But nah. yeah, are, <laughs> are you an asshole boss? Do you have an asshole boss? So basically, it's all about asshole bosses. Well, one of life and leadership. Don't be a dick. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about next week with three fabulous guests. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're not subscribed, you're going to miss out on that. And probably I'm going to count up exactly how many times we say asshole. And I'm going to include the Americans. because It's got some Canadians, <laughs> so they're going to say asshole. So I'm going to include that. But uh, I'm... So maybe even leave this one, particularly if you do have an asshole boss. <laughs> leave this one till Friday. Yeah. And play a little responsible drinking game. Maybe a very weak gin and tonic and take a sip every time you hear the word arsehole. Just, you know, un unwind from your from your week. So there's something to look forward to on Friday. You can play with arsehole. We will <laughs> see you next week. Bye for now. Bye.